and I have planned a trip to Puerto Rico. We're supposed to be leaving on Wednesday night. Uh, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to make that trip at this point, not because we are not willing and wanting to, but it looks like the powers to be may have the authority to keep us from making that trip. <laughs> so we've already made plans for next week's worship service that uh, Kevin Gardner's coming from Ligonier to preach. And my absence and my plan right now, we don't know how things are going to unfold this week, but the plan is, is if Kevin's willing to come, that he's still going to con- do that. I'm going to have to get with him and find out what his inclinations are or whatever. But you will have someone in this pulpit next Sunday morning. It'll be me or it'll be somebody else. So I just want you to be assured of that. And let me just say this. If I would be so bold and having talked with Lori about this, but if it ever comes to the point that we can't meet here anymore, you can meet at our house. And be very welcomed. Okay. As far as our small group participation goes, we're going to continue to have our Bible studies. Prayer breakfast for men still going to meet on Wednesday morning. If you want to be here and you feel convicted you need to be, then be here. If you don't, then don't. And, and again, don't feel ill of anyone, you know, and don't, don't start jumping to conclusions. Is so-and-so, look at them. They're not, not because that is a breed for, or a plan for breeding pride in our own heart. I'm better than so-and-so because I went to church this morning and so-and-so didn't come to church. That should not be part of the formula here. You need to go by your convictions. You need to do without judging other people. They're making their choices based upon circumstances. And sometimes those circumstances are outside their control. And, they, and if you are in the same circumstances, you might choose to be doing what they're doing. So don't jump to conclusions uh, about what other people happen to, how they be, tend to be responding at this point. But we're going to jump back into our study of the book of Romans this morning, chapter 8. We've been plotting through 8 now for, uh, for some time. Uh, obviously, you probably realize that one of the reasons for it is it's, it's very much a part of our understanding when it comes to some very basic elements of God's plan of redemption. It's the very heart and soul of, uh, of Reformed theology you find here in Romans Eight to some degree, and it's not only here you need to understand that. We don't believe what we believe uh, in regard to predestination just because you find it here in Romans 8. It's also you have to consider Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and other places where these same things are spoken about, taught in the rest of Scripture. And so we've come to the conclusions about things uh, that we have. What you're going to find in this uh, particular part of the passage, and we're going to be looking specifically this morning at verses 31 through 39, probably not all of it in that much detail. But just remember, everything that we're doing now is built upon what we've already covered. and that's always the case when it comes to preaching through books. That the, what we're doing today is connected with everything we've done up to this point. And we just always need to keep that in mind. I'm going to go back and I'm going to start reading with verse 26, and then we'll pick up with 31. 
In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, or our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In whom he predestined, these he also called. In whom he called, he also justified. And in whom he justified, these he also glorified. And this is where we're starting today. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather than, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or word or pandemics. That's not there, but we understand that Paul's not giving us an exhaustive list. Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall uh, be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me ask you, do you, could you think of a more appropriate passage for us to be talking about this morning than this one? Isn't it amazing how so often the timing of God seems to be absolutely perfect uh, when it comes to things? Now what we're going to find here is this, this, this particular part of the passage begins with uh, three different rhetorical questions. Now, remember, Paul's been anticipating questions all the way through the book of Romans. And when he anticipates those questions, he gives answers to or responses to those questions that he knows that things he's talking about are difficult. And he knows that people are going to have questions about. So he anticipates. But these are three rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions are questions that are asked when the, when the answer is obvious to everybody. In other words, there's no secret to what the question is. Anybody that's reading them would just logically understand that this is what the answer happens to be to that question. And there's three of them. But the same answer is to every one of them. Even though God, or Jesus, is, or Paul doesn't spell it out here, or God through Paul. Spell it out here. There is an obvious answer to every one of those three questions, and it's the very same answer.
If God is for us, who is against us? What is the logical, in-your-face answer? No one. Absolutely no one. No one of significance, no one of consequence. Does that mean that there are not going to be people, and even Satan in this world, never bring or stand against us? Doesn't mean that at all. And in fact, Jesus promises us this, that we have a great adversary. His name is the devil. And the greatest passion of his heart is to separate you from Christ. To do that any way and every way he possibly can. That is the passion, that is the desire of his heart. He is your very great adversary. And I hope you're praying on a regular basis that God would protect you from his lies and his deceit and his temptations, etc., etc., etc. Because there is nothing in the world he would like more than to drive a wedge between you and Jesus. That is his purpose. That is his intention. And he's not by himself. He has henchmen. Sometimes in the form, many times in the form of other people. People who with willful purpose and desire wish to drive a wedge between you and your Lord and your Savior. That we know this for one reason. We know this because this is what we've been saying here in Romans 8 in these last verses, and that is this, is God does not look, his foreknowing is not the idea that he looks into the future to see what's going to happen and then went back and wrote it all down in a book so that when it actually happens, he can look at everybody and say, see, I told you so. We have a God who has predetermined everything, everything. He's absolutely sovereign in all things. He is sovereign in everything that's happening today. He is sovereign in this coronavirus stuff. It is his will that this virus enters into the history of humanity at this time, at this point in history, for his own determined purposes. It has not caught him by surprise. It has come according to his perfect will and purpose. He foreordained all of this back at the very beginning of time. He didn't look ahead to see it was going to happen and then go back and say it's going to happen. It's happening because he determined that it would happen. As we said before over these last weeks, there is only one single place that any believer can have an assurance of salvation, and that is an absolutely, perfectly sovereign God. That's the only way any human being can ever be really assured of their salvation if it rests in His hands completely and absolutely. Because let me tell you something. If you don't realize... That at any moment, if God took his spirit away from you, he would run away from him. There's still enough sin in you, 
apart from the devil, apart from other people in this world, there's still enough sin in you to drive that wedge between you and Christ. But, if your salvation is utterly and absolutely not dependent upon you, but utterly and absolutely dependent upon God to save you and to keep you saved, there is assurance of salvation. Of knowing that if I were left to myself, I would run away. Let me tell you, if it was just up to me, if God was not active in me, I would have left Christianity a long time ago. You've heard me say this before. I had, you know, I had this picture that, well, we had this picture. I don't know if we still have it anymore, but uh, of Lori took of Matthew and I when I was, you know, my 30s, looked a little bit more vibrant than I do today, you know, and whatever. Stephen and Matthew was this little baby. He was just a toddler in, in this picture of me and him on the beach. And for a long time, I had this picture that he was holding my finger because he used to do that all the time. But I saw the picture not long ago, and that's not happening. But it comes down to this, and that is, where's the strength in that picture? Isn't a little kid? Can that kid do anything for itself? Understand, that's a, that's a good picture of our relationship to God, that, that our relationship with him depends upon him holding on to us, not us holding on to him. And every day that you're still there, you need to be praising God. Thank you, Lord, that you did not allow me to fall away today. And let me tell you, when your trust truly is in Christ Jesus, you can have every confidence that he will never leave you. He will never let you go. That is assurance. And it's the only place there is. So have it. Have that assurance. Because when God is for you, there's no one that can stand against you. No one can take you away from him, not even yourself. He's demonstrated to us in, in, in some of the most practical, real, in-your-face ways just how important we are to Him. He's given us ground for having that blind faith, if not blind faith, but, but, but knowledgeable, reasonable faith in Him. He didn't spare his own son. He did not spare his son for Kathy. He did not spare his son for Lloyd and Lucy. Now you've heard me say this before. I have two sons, naturally, and then I have two sons-in-law who I consider to be sons. I hope that I would, if it came down to it, that I would be willing to give my life for you. But let me tell you something. You can't have any of my boys. None of them. Now, I'm not going to give any of them up so Donna can have a nice life. 
that you understand that God, and, and I would imagine all of us would be in that same boat. There, there is an end of where we're willing to go. It appears, however, as if there is no end of where God's willing to go. in order to save us. And he's demonstrated that. Because he didn't spare his own son. And his own son went to the cross willingly. They didn't have to drag him. He went. And if he did that for us, how much more is he willing to do for us? Let me tell you, God will never withhold anything good from you. Ever. Are there times when we withhold things from our children because we know they're not good for them? If you've had children, you know that there have been times when you've done that. Your parents did that for you. I mean, are we supposed to just give to every child every inclination of their sinful heart, which it seems like some people are willing to do today? I think one of the biggest social issues today is this, is fundamentally there are a lot of parents today that are simply not parenting their children. They're like little toys that they've gotten, playthings they've gotten, and, and, and the reason they've got them is to make them feel good about themselves or to give them meaning in life or this, that, or the other, but they don't parent them. They don't acknowledge that there's a sinful nature in them that's going to drive them to do bad and horrible things. And one of their big jobs as a parent is to help curtail that by teaching them things like their consequences for bad decisions in life. And your consequences now may seem really big to you, but when you get older, they're a whole lot worse. God gives you everything that you need. Everything that you need. He does not withhold anything that you need from you. Period. If you don't have it, it's because it's not good for you. I think really one of the biggest issues today is this. Is even, you see this even in church people. And that is this. Is we need to remember something. And that is that this, this, there is no, no sting of, even, of death with us anymore. Where death is your sting. It's amazing today what people are willing to go through to, to try to extend their life for even for a few days or a few hours or a few years or whatever. And I know there's some people that that message really rings very close to home with this morning. But we need to understand something. And that is this, is death is no longer a trap for us. There's a sense in which death is freedom. Death is release. We have no reason to cling to it, to hold to life dearly with all of the strength and might that we have. I'm not saying we should run to death, but I'm saying we should not run away from it. That when the time comes, we need to face it head on. 
Really? Paradise lies ahead. Trial and tribulation lies behind. He will bring a charge against God elect. Again, nobody, not one person, not Satan, not any living being. Because God is the one who justifies. What that means is this, is every charge that could be, has been, or will be ever brought against you has already been dealt with in the courtroom of God. He has justified you from absolutely every single sin. Everyone. Past, present, future. And let me tell you, if that's not true, you're not saved. You might think you are, but you're not. Either Jesus died and paid the penalty for absolutely every one of your sins that you have ever committed, are committing, or ever will commit, or he didn't. Period. There's no in-between. There will be no one that will be able to stand in the court of God when you are on the witness stand or whatever you want to call it. You're in the hot box, hot seat, and bring a charge against you. That doesn't mean necessarily that people are not going to try to bring charges against you, but we know that nothing will stick. Nothing will stick, period. You have been declared innocent already of all charges. Innocent of all charges. No exceptions. Assurance of salvation. If that were not true, could you be assured of your salvation? If Jesus did part, and now you have to do the rest. Could you ever have any sense of assurance? If one single thing was left for you to do. There will be a lot of condemning that takes place in God's court. But none of it will have to do with believers. It will all have to be it'll all have to do with those who have refused to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Those people who are trying to stand on those merit, those people who believe that, yeah, one of these days we're gonna die and we're all gonna stand before God. He's gonna measure our good against our bad, and obviously I've done some bad in my life, but I don't weigh more good, so I'm in good shape. No way. Either Jesus did it all or you're lost. Either Jesus did it all or we have no hope. 
We're just kidding ourselves. Jesus was not only our advocate in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, he continues to be our advocate in the heavenly places. He intercedes for us. Exactly what that looks like or sounds like, we don't know, but it's got to be something along like this, that when our name comes up, that Jesus is the first one to speak up, and he's always speaking up on our behalf. He is one of mine. You have given to them. You have given them to me. End of story. Period. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What's the answer? No one. Nobody. No how. No way. We talked last week about the golden chain of salvation. And we started out just talking about chains in general. And we said that there's, there, there's one thing that determines the strength of every chain. And that is the strength of the weakest link. That every chain will eventually break, right? And where does it break? It breaks the link that is the weakest every time. You understand that there is no weak link in that chain of salvation, not one. Because every one of those, those steps in that process of salvation is not accomplished according to the power of the will of people, but is accomplished by the power and the will of God. There is no weak link. There, let me tell you something. If you're really saved, you cannot fall away. It's impossible. That assurance of salvation. Let me tell you something. You may think you're weak, but you're far weaker than you think you are. That's true for all of us. We would probably be very discouraged if we knew exactly how weak we really are of ourselves. But in Christ, the bond is unbreakable. You understand that even God the Father could not break it if he decided to? You understand that? Because for him to do that would mean to deny what Christ has accomplished for that person in life and death. Assurance. By the power of God. Not you. Not me. Could it possibly be so any other way? No. This should have everything to do with the way we respond to this coronavirus. Seriously. My grandfather, when he was a young person, and this would have been back in probably the 1920s or teens even, he lived in a small town in Louisiana, southern Louisiana. They had maybe 50 or 100 people in it, not a lot of people. It was a little hole in the road. 
But there was a flu epidemic that went through. And the majority of the people in the population of that little town died. Everybody but my grandfather and one person contracted that disease. And when that happened, my grandfather and the other person didn't decide to leave town and leave everybody else to themselves. They spent those days taking care of the sick, bringing them food, doing for them whatever they needed for them to have done. That needs to be the picture of the church in the midst of something like this. I wrote down a bunch of statistics this morning that really paints the picture of where we're at. You may not realize it, that, uh, but the bubonic plague back in the 17th century kills 25 million people in Europe. You can imagine that there were people that were really believed that the end of days had come, right? That they were in the midst of the Great Tribulation. Between 1665 and 1666, 70,000 people died in London alone. My whole point is this, is we need to understand things like this have been around for all of history. It's nothing new. We keep thinking, well, this is something new. Well, you know, there are new diseases popping up all the time. It's not the first time we've seen this panic set in, even in more recent years. This one seems to be a lot more intense and, and whatever than we've seen with the SARS virus and Ebola and all these other things that have popped up, you know, in, in more recent years. But as we sit this today, there have been 157,000 confirmed cases. Of those 157,000, 76,000 have recovered completely from it at this point. So we need to understand that this is not the end of the world. This is not this disease that's going to just wipe every human being off the face of the planet. It is not that. Because that's not happening. The majority of people that get it recover from it. Of those 157,000 in China that if, you know, these, and we, we know that they're probably fudging the numbers, right? Because they, they, they probably don't want this really bleak picture painted for the rest of the world and whatever, because they know it started there and, and for whatever reason, so they're fudging the numbers. But of those 157,000, 5,800 people have died. And we know that there are people that already have significant self, uh, health issues Partly, most of them are older people. But what I'm telling you, the majority of people that have contracted this virus and gone through the duration of it are, 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 are walking around living, breathing today. In the United States, this morning, it was 3,049 confirmed cases. Of those 3,049, 60 people have died. There are no cures for it. There's not some medication they're going to give you, that's going to, if you have it, that's going to make you instantly well. The only thing they can do is treat the symptoms, isn't that right? 
Debbie's a nurse, she knows. They're treating the symptoms. They're treating you for high fevers. They're training you for digestive problems and this and that and that and this. But again, there are other, there are other things that are going to cause more people to die today than this stuff. And we're not even concerned about it. And I understand that sometimes the, the things that people do, it's not because of their own convictions necessarily drive them in one direction, but they have responsibilities that involve other people. And when they make choices, it's not just for themselves, it's choices for those other people and, and that sort of thing. So I understand that the, there's a much bigger picture than uh, what may be obvious at times and that sort of thing. And that's what the reason I just say, you know, don't, don't wonder and don't even question what other people are doing because they have their reasons for doing it and they're convicted uh, for those reasons uh, and whatever but uh, you keep your head on your shoulders I mean look at the stock market and Lori and I have a 403b that lost $25,000 in the last two or three weeks I stopped looking at it. Matter of fact, I can't even get on the website anymore. They blocked everybody because things are so bad. They don't want people to see what reality is. But I did that this morning just to, to see if, see what, because I had tried a couple times last week just to see how bad the damage was at that point. But you can't even get on the website now. Has God lost control? Is that what's going on here? Is money something you can take into the next life? We tend to let it, we tend to find confident, comfort and confidence in having a lot of it. Do you understand that maybe one of the things that's going on here is this is God's jerk in our chain. He's pulling some of this stuff out from underneath us so that we can once again remember and understand exactly who our Father is and where we really are. Sometimes we need to be reminded, don't we? Because it's easy for us to forget and begin to lose our way. And let me tell you, every penny that Lori and I have saved for retirement could be taken away tomorrow, and that does not change the fact that Christ Jesus loves us and intercedes for us and will always take care of us and give us everything that we need. You see, our confidence is not in the world. It's not in worldly things. Our confidence is in our almighty God. Not just for some things, but for everything. Don't panic as if God had lost control, because he hasn't. Nor will he. Listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit because he will tell you what he wants you to do. And we just need to listen. Just need to listen and do whatever that is.
It's the right path. It's the only path. The truth path. God bless you all.